Welcome to a special mini-series on Sacred City Vision Drip. We've been talking a lot about generational faithfulness as of late, and in this vein, we put together a parenting conference last weekend. And so you're about to hear audio from that conference. You'll hear from Pastor Rob, who gives us a 30,000-foot overview, theological overview of, of covenantal succession. I'll, I'll teach on the next series about standing on the promises, and then Pastor Justin will lead us into some really practical things about culture and in the home and discipline. I hope you enjoy this. Again, my name is Justin, and I am the uh, founding pastor of Sacred City Church and the uh, lead pastor over at Sacred City. Uh, I don't really want to call us Davenport because we're about to move to Bettendorf. Uh, yeah, yeah. But Sacred City, Iowa, let's say that. Um, and I, have, I am married to my wife, Amanda. We've been married for almost 19 years, 19 years in May. We have five covenant children and so we, are, we have a 16-year-old all, all the way down to almost two, two in a couple weeks here. And so we are in the throes of parenting, and um, it is, we love it. We love it. It's a blessing, and it's chaos at the same time. And so what I'm going to talk about today, this morning, everybody's been saying discipline, and we're going to get to discipline, but I, actually, I want to talk about the heart of parenting, the heart of parenting. But before I jump into that... Um, I want to recommend a few books. One of these is out there on the table, and it's called Standing on the Promises of God, or Standing on the Promises by Douglas Wilson. And um, listen, Douglas Wilson is a very controversial figure. Some people hate him, some people love him, and very few people go, huh, about him, okay? I kind of like guys like that, actually. <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard about guys like that. Uh, and this, but here's the deal. He has children that are in their 40s, that love Jesus. He has generations of faithfulness. His sons, are, his sons and daughters are successful, Jesus-loving, intelligent, worshiping people. They still go to his church. They still live in the same town, and they're just outstanding. And so you want to learn from somebody who's great at parenting, and Doug Wilson is great at parenting. And then uh, these two are not out there. It's called the, One's called The Christian Family by Herman Bavink. The Christian Family by Herman ba Bavink. And then this one is Bringing the Gospel to Covenant Children by Joel Beek. Bringing the Gospel to Covenant Children by Joel Beek. We want to be continually learning and growing and sharpening the axe in our parenting. And these are resources that will help you do that. All right, well, let me pray for us. And uh, I'm going to get going this morning. Gracious Father, first off, we acknowledge both of those realities right now. First, you are gracious to us. You give us your gracious covenant. You pursue us when we break covenant. You pursue us when we run from you. And so if, if you weren't gracious, we would have no covenant. We would not know you. Uh, we would be lost in our trespasses and sins. So we rely on your grace. And then also that you are our father. This reality should shape, every, should shape all of our parenting. You are parenting us. We learn how to be a father. We learn how to be a mother from you. We learn how to parent children from you. And so we ask you to parent us this morning, instruct us, teach us, 
be near to us. You are our ever-present Father. You are omnipresent. You are with us here today. So would you lead us and guide us in truth? Would you help us become better parents? Um, You've entrusted us with your great and precious promises. And we want to pass on those great and precious promises to our children. We want them to love them more than us. We want them to understand them more than us. We want them to trust them more than us. We want our children to know more about you and to experience more of your love and to obey you in greater ways than we do and than we have. Would you do this for your glory, for the, for the sake of your kingdom? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Well, Rob and Sam, thank you for such solid and biblical wisdom that you shared with us last night and this morning. Both of those talks need to be downloaded and re-listened to more than once. What I want to do in this session, in this last session, is number one, I want to get to the heart of parenting. And then second, I want to get really practical when it comes to disciplining our children. First, what is the heart of parenting? Well, I think it's this. The heart of parenting is blessing. When God the Father, and again, God is our model when it comes to being a parent. When God puts Adam and Eve in the garden, he places them into a garden of blessing. Think about the garden. That garden... God had custom designed for them. Think about, uh, this, is, this is the comparison I want to make. The garden is your home. Okay? The garden is your home. God custom designed that environment for them. He provided everything they needed. He had made it lovely. What, right? Guess what? The garden did not have postmodern design. Right? It wasn't just square blocks of concrete. Okay? It was flourishing, it was beauty, it was alive. It was fruitful and beautiful. It was safe, and yet, there was a clear and obvious threat within the garden. Sometimes we forget when people say, oh, the Garden of Eden was perfect. Okay, what do you mean by perfect? Because the Satan was there, the, the, the serpent was there. It was not without threat. So even in our homes, we want to create safe places in our homes, but we we have to train our children to know that there's threats out there in the world. There's threats even in the home, right? The garden wasn't soft. It wasn't padded. It wasn't a padded room with seatbelts, okay? Parents, God did not put Adam and Eve on a leash that connected to his belt. Have you seen these people at the mall? Right? It's not how God treated Adam and Eve. It wasn't a benign environment. In other words, even in the garden, there was still an enemy that needed to be resisted and destroyed. We cannot raise strong, resilient warfighter children without some difficulty brought into their lives. Our children are meant to be snake crushers. Our children are meant to resist the curse. Our children are meant to grow up and push back darkness. But the garden, the interesting thing about the garden is God was present with them in it. He was ever present with them. So presence matters. Now here, we begin to see the very heart of parenting. It's blessing. All of those things were God's blessings. His presence was a blessing. 
The place was a blessing. All of that was blessing. This is what it means to be a parent. It means that we are to provide blessings to our children. We are to create homes that are joyful, loving, fun, safe, and yet challenging, instructive, and intimate, where the worship of our triune God is abundant. It is in this environment of blessing where children can grow and mature to be torchbearers, carrying the flame of faith into the next generations. Now, I wonder how many Christian homes actually feel like this. When I hear numbers like 90% of Christian young people are walking away from the, the Christianity of their father, their fathers, and their, their I'm like, what is what was their home like? Was their home, did it, their home feel more like a prison than a place of blessing? I think too many Christians' homes are actually a garden of stop it, stop it, no, sit down. I think too many Christians' homes are extracted from love, joy, peace, and it's just all they know are the rules. And it's a wonder why kids rebel from that. Think about the Garden of Eden. This is how it's often said. The Garden of Eden was a garden full of yeses. Can I do that? Yes. Can I do that? Yes. 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 Can I go to that mountain? Yes. Can I jump in that river? Yes. Can I climb that tree? Yes. Can I eat of that fruit? Yes. Can I eat of that tree? No. One no. A garden of yeses, one no. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? So God's blessing was, (laughs) it's hard to say, was a blessing. Right? You can do almost anything, just don't do that one thing. Now, I know that we live on the other side of the fall, and therefore, there is a whole lot more for us to say no to in our day and age, but we must remember that grace restores nature. What that means is redemption brings us back to our original intent that God gave us. That's true of parenting as well. What that means for us is our homes... When they are full of grace, they should be full of blessing. Blessing is the heart of parenting. Now, I want to start there because that's where God starts. Before he gives us his law, before he gives us his commands and tells us what we should do, he blesses us. Therefore, we are to respond to his blessings this way. We're saying this, look at all that God has done for me. This is what Adam and Eve should have done, right? Adam and Eve should have gotten in the garden and, you know, did the Hillary Clinton. Whoa! Right? Like, look what he did for us. Look what he gave us. He's been so benevolent. He's so good to us. What am I breathing? I don't know, but God gave it to you, Right? Look how he's blessed me. He's given me everything I need for life and godliness. Now, here's the next step. So there's first step, thankfulness, awareness of the blessing, thankfulness of the blessing. Second step, of course I will trust him when he says there's one thing I shouldn't do. Of course I will obey him. He loves me. He's blessed me, and he knows what's best for me. I know that it will go well for me if I obey him. 
So parents, we too must begin our role as parents by blessing. That means we must create the homes where God-centered, joyful relationships can flourish. It is here where we bless our children and win their hearts. It's here... Just, I want you to hear that. The goal of parenting isn't obedient kids. The goal of parenting isn't just to get them to pray a prayer and ask Jesus into their heart. The goal of parenting is for us to win their hearts. That means to capture their love and devotion. If you get their heart, you get their mind, you get their will, you get their obedience. The heart in the Bible is the control center of the whole person. So parenting is about going after the heart. This is why in the book of Proverbs, which is the perennial parenting manual, by the way, I would encourage every parent to be reading Proverbs every single day. My parenting, you know, the things you remember about your parents usually, especially your dads, are their one-liners. Right? Proverbs is full of one-liners, dad, that are way better than, you know, yours most of the time. So memorize them. Memorize some of them. Here's one of them. Listen, listen to what Solomon says in verse tw- or chapter 23, verse 26. My son, give me your heart. And let your eyes observe my ways. My son, give me your heart. And let your eyes observe my ways. Now, this is no just sappy, sentimental notion here. Proverbs chapter 3. I want you to, let's open it up. Let's open it up. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 23. Hopefully you've heard before getting uh, that, that God wants us to teach. Here, here's another way to say what, what we should teach and instruct our children. God wants us to give our children a whole Christian world and life view. If you grew up in this dispensational type of reality, which most of us did and weren't even aware of it, you thought the only thing you need to pass on to your children is Jesus died for your sins. And hopefully they believe that, Right? Here's the, here's the reality. That doesn't really, they don't know, understand how that affects the rest of their life. And then they often go off to college and then they get corrupted by the world and they've got a completely different worldview than Christian worldview. Proverbs teaches us that the goal of parent is to instruct their children in everything and to teach everything the Bible says to their children. How to handle everything. Proverbs 23 is a great example of this. Look how Solomon begins. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, hold on. He's, he, Solomon knows I'm raising future kings and queens. The first command given to Adam and Eve is to rule over creation. That's your original intent. Our original intent is to rule over creation, to take dominion over creation. I, I got in a rabbit hole this morning that I didn't know I was going to get in. And it was just like, how do you, it was this, 
How do you get, and it's from our men's study, if you have that men's book, that men's study, I, I'm preparing, reading it for my fight club, and it was talking about ruling over creation, and it said, go do a study on iron, on iron or iron ore, or something like that. And so I started Googling iron ore, and iron ore, of course, is, if you know this, it's a, it's a mineral, and it's made up, I think 90% of the crust of the earth is made up of iron ore, and you go and find it. But here's what it means to take dominion or to rule over creation. Someone dug that up and then figured out, they didn't know this yet, I can make an airplane out of this. All right, I can make steel buildings out of this. And they created the process that you extract iron out of iron ore, and then you build things out of it, right? And everything from your cell phone to, you know, massive structures in New York City are built out of iron. What is that? That is man ruling creation. That is man doing what he was created to do in the Garden of Eden. Go out and take the, the stuff of the world that I've given you and make something great out of it. Rule it. So Solomon here is teaching his children how to rule, and obviously as kings and queens, we're meant to teach our children how to rule too, how to go out into the world and succeed, right? So first thing he's talking about, when you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you're given to appetite. He's saying this, when you're sitting down in a negotiation, (laughs) don't come hungry. You could be manipulated by a ruler if you do that. Do not desire his delicacies for their deceptive food. So he's like, be careful in your negotiations. Use wisdom. He goes on. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. So don't love money. The love of money can lead you into all kind of evil, right? When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings flying like an eagle. So he's talking about the dangers of money. He's teaching his children the love of money, is the, fear, the, the love of money is, is the root of all evil. Like, be careful with money. So we see, right, what's Solomon teaching his kid? How to behave like a king and rule. How to negotiate well. He's teaching him how to handle his money. Keep going. Do not eat the bread of a man who's stingy. Do not de- desire his delicacies. For he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart, his heart is not with you. He's teaching his son wisdom and business dealings. Again, you will vomit up the morsels that you have been eaten and waste your pleasant words. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your words. If you've determined that somebody's a fool, stop arguing with them. This might be helpful on the internet. (laughs) Do not move an ancient landmark or enter the fields of the fatherless. So if you come, an ancient landmark, if you come to something and you don't know why it was put there, don't remove it. This is what every new generation needs to realize. If you come to, this is what I was taught, if you come to a fence, don't assume you can just tear it down without consequence. There might be a pit bull behind it. That fence might have been built for a reason. Ancient landmarks, the way God has built things through the generations, there's wisdom in antiquity. There's wisdom behind us. And here's a brand new CDC study came out this week that says, um, I think I have it. Well, it says, actually, Brad, will you hand me my phone right there? It's all right. I appreciate that, babe. 
Listen to this. The CDC just released this data showing three in five teenage girls felt persistently sad or hopeless in 2021. Double that of boys and representing a nearly 60% increase over the prior decade. 30% of teen girls seriously considered, 30% of girls, teen girls, seriously considered suicide. And nearly 18% experienced sexual violence, up 20% from 2017. 90% of so-called Christian kids aren't taking, their fam- or aren't, aren't taking the faith of their family. All of this is going on. Here's the one thing I know. I won't listen to anybody in this generation right now. Any expert that tells me about parenting, I don't, I don't care what you have to say because you obviously suck at it. Third, a 60% increase in girls feeling depressed and, 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 a, and suicide. This generation doesn't know what they're talking about. We need to go back to the ancient landmarks. We need to go back, as Rob said, to the ways that have been done in generations before us. This is unprecedented what we're experiencing in our culture. So that brand new parenting book, throw it out the window. That new model of parenting, throw it out the window. It was probably written by someone, oh Lord, (laughs) who can't define, can't tell the difference between a boy and a girl. All right, they probably have a purple-haired, dress-wearing male son, and this is literally what's happening. These are literally the experts, supposed experts, that are telling us how to parent, right? And that child is probably suicidal. So let's not listen to them. Let's go back to let's go back to the scriptures, right? Let's go back to what we've done before. I didn't mean to get all like that. So sorry. All right. <clears throat> See, I tuck my shirt in to be more respectful, and then I do stuff like that. <laughs> Golly, there we go. Verse 11, for their redeemer is strong. He will plead their cause against you. Apply, look, apply your heart to instruction. He's focused on the heart and your ear to words of knowledge. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. Did you kill him? Okay, no, good. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from death or Sheol or hell. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. Isn't this what we say, parents? If your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My heart is connected to my son. My heart is connected to my child. My inmost being with it will exult when your lips speak what is right. I want my child to speak what is right. Again, let not your heart envy sinners. Dad, I gotta have these shoes. Why? Everybody's got them. Let not your heart envy sinners. Now, you might be able to get the shoes and great, right? But if you parent out of envy, I know many Christian parents who parent out of envy. If another child has it, my child will have it. As soon as that one friend gets the cell phone, my child will have the cell phone. You're parenting out of envy. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Christian parents should not be afraid to say, yeah, we don't do that. Why? Because we're Christian. But they're Christian too. No, they go to church. We don't know if they're Christian or not. They might be in your Christian school. I don't know if they're Christian. Their parenting is obviously not wise. 
Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Hear my son and be wise and direct your heart, direct your heart in the way. I want you, this is what, I, this is what I'm, I'm bringing you here to see this. Very practical advice aimed at the heart. Very practical advice aimed at the heart. Very practical advice aimed at the heart. Be not among drunkards. <laughs> I love Solomon. We don't hang out with them. They're drunks. But they're our neighbors. We're supposed to love our neighbors. Yeah, but they're our drunk neighbors and we love them. We love them, but we don't hang out with them. I have drunk neighbors literally right across the street. My kids peek out the window and watch the parties at night. Like, yeah, they're drunks. Yeah, we don't hang out with them. Or among the gluttonous eaters of meat. Hedonists. People like Joe Rogan. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and the slumber will clothe them where... And slumber will clothe them with rags. Lazy people. That's not like us, son. We're not lazy. Listen to your father who gave you life. And do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. We need to... When we, see, when, we, when we catch our children doing wise things, we need to be vocal and say, you make my heart glad, son. When I, read, when I read this in the morning and I'm reading a proverb and I read something like this, I try to think of something my son has done in the past day and then I text it to him. He's still asleep. I'm up reading the Bible. He's still asleep. I text it to him. You make my heart glad when you did this, son. My son, here it is, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Now, this is interesting because this is Solomon speaking. Solomon, let your eyes observe my ways. Guess what? Yeah, I had a lot of wives, and they caused me a lot of problems. They split my kingdom. They destroyed, they, they basically caused great damage to, my, to the generations after me. Observe my ways. And this is where he goes, for a prostitute is a deep pit. An adulteress is a narrow well. Those are definitely sexual references. She lies in wait like a robber and increases the traitors among mankind. Beware of the immoral woman. Beware of TikTok, son. Beware of Instagram, son. Beware of online porn, son. Beware of that girl that wears that short skirt, son. Beware of that girl that's trying to catch everybody's eye, son. She's not, your, she's not the one. And then he goes to alcohol. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Now he does say that wine, God gives us wine to gladden the heart of man, but look what he says here. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things. He's talking about getting drunk here. And your heart will utter perverse things. You'll say things you shouldn't say, son. You're a king. You're a ruler. You can't be acting like that. Look, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. Look, they struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. He's drunk. I'm feeling pretty good. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. He's warning him of drunkenness. So, okay, he's warning him of drunkenness. He's teaching him how to be a wise ruler. He's teaching him how to handle money. He's teaching him all kinds of different things. But the goal of it all, he's saying, give me your heart. 
The most important thing we can do as parents is to win the heart of our children. I'm going to say this. Children are like wet concrete. The first five or six years, they're like wet concrete. And then the next six years, they're like halfway formed concrete. Like you can step on it and you can maybe scratch your name in it, but you can't get to the bottom. And then they, once they quote unquote harden, they become really difficult to change. By their teenage years, they're, almost, they're pretty set in their ways. So all the stuff we're talking about today, you've got to aim early. You've got to get there when they're young. You've got to get their heart when they're young. Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So everything we love, everything we think, everything we believe, everything we do actually comes out of our heart. So our heart is the most important thing about us. And our kids right now are growing up in a world that is hostile to Christianity. A world that is much different than the world we grew up in. Even if you're only 20 years old in here, the world today is much different than it was 20 years ago. The people around us no longer share the same moral ideals that we do. The same view of the world that we do. They don't believe in the creator. They don't believe that gender is tied to your sex. That God created us male and female. They don't believe a lot of things that God teaches us in his word. So what does that mean? That means we are going to have to do a whole lot more work than our parents did. Did you ever think you would have to teach your children what a boy is? Or what a girl is? When the highest people in our society literally say things like, I'm not a biologist, I don't know. But this is really important. Our primary job isn't just to get the right content into their heads or get the right behavior out of their lives. Our job as parents is to win their hearts to us and to King Jesus. We have to win the hearts. See, children are smaller than you, so you can control their behavior. How do they act when they go to a neighbor's house? How do they act when they get away from you? If you've, if you've shaped their heart, it's consistent. If not, as soon as they get a little bit of freedom, they rebel from you. Okay, so here's where we get practical. How do we win the hearts of our children? Three ways. Number one, we create the environment of abundant blessings. First way we win the heart of our children is to create the environment of abundant blessings. Now, I'm not saying that you need to spend a lot of money and live some kind of extravagant lifestyle. Actually, that usually ends up ruining children. What I am saying is that your home needs to be abundantly hospitable to your children. Abundantly hospitable to your children. Create a home 
Listen, my mom and father, my mom and dad did a lot of things right and did a lot, a lot of things wrong. They didn't have very good biblical teaching, theology, but one thing they did, and I don't know how, where they got it from, they wanted to have the home that all the other neighbor kids wanted to come to. Part of that was we, ba- we should have invested in Little Debbie's, like stocks, because she just had a, she, di- she did have, she does still have a cabinet that if you open it up from top to bottom, it is Little Debbie, right? And every one of my friends and all of my siblings' friends knew you come to the dean's house, you don't have to knock, you walk in, you can go right to that cabinet, you can grab a snack, you can come down, is Justin here? Like, no? Okay, well, thanks for the Little Debbie, like, Right? That was the home. Create a home of abundant blessing that children want to be in. That means your home should be defined by lots of laughter. Lots of games. Lots of giggles. Lots of inside jokes. Lots of stories both reading stories to your kids and creating stories. One of the things that naturally happens in my homes, when we, especially when we go over for Sabbath dinner on a Saturday night with my parents and my siblings come over, or when we're at uh, extended times of Thanksgiving and Christmas, naturally we eat, we sit around, and then somebody usually starts by telling some embarrassing story about me. <laughs> right? Something stupid that I did when I was three years old or five years old or some some kind of story and my and all the kids just and they just gather around and listen to stories. I remember as a kid, my dad was very reserved. He wasn't present in the home very much. He was working. That's basically what he knew how to do and he worked. And the, but then on vacations, I realized that oh, my dad is actually a fun guy. My dad likes the beach. My dad likes to surf or bodyboard in the ocean. And then my dad would tell me about stories of him climbing, him and his cousin would climb trees, and then they lived in Alabama, okay, so this is, all, this is basically all they had. They would climb trees, and then the other one would chop it down. <laughs> and they would ride the tree to the ground, okay? My uncle, my, my, his, his uncle, so went to, uh, went to get a CAT scan or something last year, and they said, when did you break your neck? And he said, I've never broke my... Oh. <laughs> they had fell a bunch of trees and there was a branch sticking up and the next one came down and hit him right like that and, and it broke his neck. But it was fun and it made a great story, right? So my kids, literally, when we leave times like that, they just say, I love hearing those stories. Stories of adventure, stories of getting in trouble, all those stories that remind them that dad and mom were real people. Your home needs to be filled with great meals. Not just something you put in the microwave. Yes, there's going to be plenty of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. That's totally fine. Don't hear some legalistic standard that you've got to have four course meals, all three meals or something. But good meals should be a part of our home. Extended time around the dinner table. Desserts. Special moments. All right, kids, get in the the car. We're going to Dairy Queen. Get in the car. We're going to Whitey's. If you struggle to have your kids read books, say, we're going to Whitey's and we're having story time. 
You can eat while you read, or I'll read to you while you eat. We should be, our homes, we should be building forts, building tree houses, having ice cream nights, taking walks, enjoying God and his creation. It's like a going joke at my house. I don't know what it is, but between Amanda and I, nearly every single day, guys, have you seen the sunset? Guys, have you seen the sunrise? Let's go out and look at it. Oh, our God did that. In other words, listen, you need to be, if, this, if you're going to have this type of home, you have to be this type of person. We should be joyful. You should be playful. You should be curious. You should be story-formed. You need to be a curator of adventure. In other words, you can't be boring. Nor can you be too tired all the time. I know you have an exhausting job. I know it's exhausting what you do all day long. And when you get home, you're tired. Men, I know this. I know but you can't be too tired to go throw the football. You can't be too tired to go for a walk. You can't. In those moments, you have to man up. And if mama says, well, I'm too tired because I've been around the house, you gotta go, nope, we're both too tired. We're gonna go for a walk. You're the curator of adventure. You can't treat your kids like they are a bother to you. Too many kids, get, get out of the way. I'm watching TV. Kids, go be quiet somewhere else. I understand. Listen, I'm not saying you can't take an hour after bedtime to sit down to watch TV, and if they come down and they're being annoying, you say, go to bed. I'm not saying you can't do that. But here, listen. If during the the good parts of the day, you're saying, shh, go away, shh, go away, don't be surprised when when they turn 18 and they go away. What this is saying is we have to be more like our good, gracious, and benevolent God who never tires of us, who never tires of giving us a beautiful sunset or a beautiful sunrise every single day. He says to the sun, do it again. Puts an orange in it today. Give him a little of that purple. Give him a little of that purple today. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 3.18, quote, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So as we behold the beauty of Jesus, as we behold the glory and the joyfulness of the Holy Spirit, we become more like him. We become more joyful. Become more benevolent more gracious, more good. Solomon says, son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. That's what he's saying is learn from me, become like me. That means we must be this type of person first if we want our children to become this type of person. So step one in capturing or winning your child's heart is to create the environment of abundant blessing. And just, listen, if you're worried about spoiling your children, just 
do those dinnertime devotions and say, what's one thing you're thankful to God for today? Just remind them that you're not more benevolent than God is, right? I know dads, you can be, we can be tempted to be like, that didn't come from God, that came from me. I paid for them tree, I paid for them Christmas presents under the tree. You know, they're, thanking, they're thanking mom for all the presents and you're back there going. She picked them out, but I paid for them, all right? And God gave you the power to get wealth is what the Bible says, so they all come from him. So chase, what up, when you're blessing and you're doing all this in your home, chase the pleasure up to God. Chase it up to God. Let it end in God. This all came from God. This, oh, it's, you know, when we get those six perfect 70 degree days in the Quad Cities, right, where there's no mosquitoes and there's no ice to fall on, those six days, you say, God gave us this day. <laughs> Enjoy it. Enjoy it. All right. All right. Step two. This has been Sam taught on this, but again, this we can, we got to beat it into our heads. Step two of winning our children's hearts is to provide instruction on the way. Instruction on the way. We have formal times of instruction around the dinner table, in education, in school, at bedtime, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot, the majority of our instruction is going to be on the way to baseball practice, on the way to church. Listen, I am guilty of this many times. I just assume my children should know things. They don't. We have to teach them everything. We have to teach them all about the Bible. We have to teach them all about God's ways. We have to teach them all about money. We have to teach them all about um, everything, right? Your kids, you, as a parent, you don't get to just go, son, go clean your room. You actually have to teach them how to clean their room. Now, I would think this is common sense. You just, you're born with this innate... It wasn't like this before. I should put it back. Nope. In fact, I think most of the time children grow up knowing I just made a huge mess and I went to bed and then it was just all clean when I woke up. Right? Mom's walking behind them or dad's walking behind them, cleaning everything up. Our kids don't know how to clean the rooms. Now listen, here's the reality. Messy people create messy rooms and messiness is a form of chaos that must be ordered or it will eventually begin to sap our joy. All the moms said. Right? Me messy homes that aren't ever put in order will begin to decay and show wear much faster than clean homes will. On top of that, cleanliness and orderliness just make you feel better about being in the home, right? C clutter and mess, just, it's not, in it's not enjoyable. So it's, it's um, we're trying to create this home of blessing, and when, when we have this home of blessing, that blessing is actually going to create mess, and if we don't order that mess, it will actually ruin our joy. So we have to teach our children, okay, now you need to clean. Parents, 
You have to teach your child to clean the rooms. You have to teach your child to do the dishes. You have to teach your child to do their laundry. My son, a few years ago, started to like to wash all his, you know, no, this, I think this was the deal. He didn't want to wear an undershirt under his sweatshirts. I was like, bro, you wear an undershirt under your sweatshirt so you don't have to wash your sweatshirt every time you wear your sweatshirt. I don't like to do that. I like the softness of the sweatshirt. I said, okay, you can do your own laundry. And for the past probably two years now, my son's been doing his own laundry. And I don't even, I don't even think about it. And I don't, I don't get the questions of, Dad, where's my pants? Dad, where's my socks? Dad, where's my coat? I don't do your laundry. I don't know where that's at. Mom doesn't do your laundry, right? But we have to, but we have to go up there. Here's the knobs. Here's how much you put in. This is what you do. Teach your children to do the, teach your children to do the laundry. We have to teach them how to do these things. So we, and by doing that, we're teaching. Here's what we're teaching. When you receive a blessing, that blessing comes with attendant responsibilities. If you've ever bought your kids an expensive pair of shoes and then you proceed to watch them walk right through the mud in them. They've been blessed, but they're not, their behavior is not connected to their responsibility yet. They, they haven't taken responsibility yet. We must take care of the good things that God's given us. And here's how you do that, right? God gave you teeth. You should probably brush those. Child, you should load the dishwasher. You should mow the grass. You should, we have to teach our children how to do all these things. Here's how you write a sentence. Here's how you respond to your mother. Here's one of the things that we're doing right now. Whoa, whoa. I want you to go out of the room and think of a better way to say that and come back in. It's usually me over here and say, oh, 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 you don't speak to my wife that way. You can leave the room, come back in and, and change your tone. I'm trying to teach, her, teach them how to do that. We have to teach them how to do everything. Oh, that person hurt you at school? Here's how you forgive. Here's how you confront. Here's how you challenge. Here's how you serve the church. I'm loving seeing all these kids now, these getting a little older, going back in and volunteering in our kids' ministry. That's what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. We serve our church together. Here's what it looks like to love our neighbors. We're gonna, hey son, come out. We're plowing the, we're gonna plow the, the sidewalk and we're gonna get the neighbors today as well. All of these things must be taught on the way. Proverbs 14.4 says this, listen to this. Without oxen, a stable stays clean. But you need a strong ox for a large harvest. You hear what's going on here? Moms, a clean house is not the goal. A fruitful and productive home is the goal. That means it will always be in a constant cycle of chaos and order, messiness and cleanliness. I can promise you this, moms, that, that are longing for the days of a clean home. When you get those days, you'll be longing for the days of a messy home, of squeals and screeches and cries. And one day you'll get that clean home and it'll be a quiet home. The goal of 
cleanliness isn't, or the goal isn't to have a clean home. The goal is to have the productive and fruitful home. And produce and fruit and oxen create messes. Right? When you go out and you build a cabinet in your woodworking shop, you make a mess while doing it. But you also build something awesome. The goal isn't to have a clean garage. The goal is to be productive. And that leads us to the third step in winning your child's heart. Discipline. Discipline. <clears throat> Proverbs says this. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. Folly, or foolishness, is bound up in the heart of a child. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. But the rod of discipline drives it from him. But the rod of dr- discipline drives it from him. Your, your child's heart, did you ever know your child's heart is intimately connected to his rear end? It is. Your child's heart is meant to be changed through the effective use of discipline and spanking. Discipline and spanking. Now, when I talk about discipline, we need to know the difference between punishment and discipline. Discipline is always corrective. Punishment is simply meted out in the interest of justice. So, Discipline is meant to accomplish a change in the one being disciplined. And if it doesn't accomplish a change, then it's actually not discipline. Because discipline is corrective, it has only been accomplished when it's actually brought about a change in behavior. So if you discipline and that child is just as angry, just as frustrated, just as disobedient as they were before, then you haven't disciplined. Now, have you ever had a kid that goes out in the yard and gets just filthy with mud or whatever and comes in and you say, all right, you got to take a bath. And they go and they take a bath and they get out and then you just see that dirt is still all over them, right? That person did not understand the assignment, (laughs) right? The goal isn't for you to take a bath. The goal is for you to get clean in the bath. That's the goal, The purpose of the bath is to get clean. The goal isn't just to take a bath. In the same way, just because you discipline a kid or just because you spank a kid or put him or her in timeout does not mean that you have actually disciplined them. And this brings up a really important point. Because every child is built different. One of the blessings of God is that God says he knows our frame. He knows exactly how you were created. He knows exactly your personality. He knows exactly your temperament. And his, I'll say this in a minute, but God's discipline to you is custom designed for you. So our discipline of our children must be custom designed for each child. To go back to the bath metaphor, some kids are going to need more scrubbing than others. Now, this might come as a surprise to you, but my mom tells me that I was a difficult child. (laughs) I had um, 
quite a tough rear end, and I had a rough attitude. She says that many a paddle was broken over my rear end. And, uh, but my brother was different. Now, I, I remember uh, one time when we were in church, and we were messing around in church, and, and we looked, you know, when you're in church and you're a child, uh, you, you, there's sometimes you just feel the laser beams of your mama's eyes looking at you. And I could feel them burning into the side of my head, and I was giggling and cutting up with my friend during the sermon. And then I looked over and I locked eyes, and I knew, oh, I'm getting it when I get home. I already knew what was happening. My brother saw it. He was cutting up as well. We both knew we were getting in, getting in trouble. We go home. We go up to the bedroom with my dad. And at that time, I think my dad had a belt. And my dad took off his belt and commenced the spanking. And then all of a sudden, my, mom, my, mom's down in the, my mom's downstairs, and she hears my brother screaming bloody murder. And she thinks, like probably most moms would, he, you know, my, she thinks probably my dad has lost his temper and he's flipped his lid and he's just killing, he's killing someone. And she, so she comes running upstairs and she busts in the door and my brother's just screaming bloody murder and I'm the one getting the spanking. <laughs> and I'm like, I refuse to cry. You know, I'm like, just drink it. And my brother's, oh my God, I'm going to die. He knew what was happening to me was going to happen to him next. <laughs> See, so, now this one, I bring it up because some kids, you have to spank hard. And some kids, you literally, some kids, you have to look at disapprovingly and they melt. Some kids, you say, I can't believe you did that. I know, Dad, I can't believe I did it either. Some kids, you say, I can't believe you did that. Why? You would have. You can guess which one I was. <laughs> so the purpose of disciplinary spanking is to change behavior. If behavior isn't changing, then you are not applying disciplinary spanking. Now this brings up another important point. We are called to create and maintain the home. Listen to this. Why do we discipline? Why do we spank? Because we are called to create and maintain the home as an environment of abundant blessings. We, are, we want our home to be the environment of abundant blessings and joy, right? Well, what happens when a kid is being disobedient or has a bad attitude or is aggravating his siblings or her siblings? The blessings of the home are destroyed, right? The back of the van becomes a place of torment, not blessing. When we have one kid that's just, <laughs> I, guess, I don't know, just doing gross things in the back of the van. Right? My two-year-old, Essie, right now, she has realized that everyone is grossed out when she finds her boogies. Okay? So she finds her boogies and then just tries to chase people with her boogies. She's two years old. And I'm looking at Amanda. I'm like, this is hilarious. How, why does she do that? And I'm like, this is just how the deans roll. This is our, this is what we, but when they're, in the back, when they're in the back of the van and they won't stop tormenting their sister, our home is no longer, a, the one being tormented is in hell, right? And mom and dad, you probably are too, in the front of the van. So we, one of the reasons we bring discipline and corrective instruction is to, cre, to recreate the, home, the, the experience of blessing. So think about our story of the gospel. 
Creation, all was good. Fall, it goes bad. Redemption, Jesus Christ paid for our sins. And look, restoration, what do we get? We get a new garden that's turned into a city, right? So every time that our children sin, in some way, their sin affects the flourishing of the family. Their sin affects the blessings. And so if we don't deal with it, we're allowing that fall to affect our whole family. And you know this is the truth. You know this is true. One bad attitude can ruin Christmas. And what's really bad is when that bad attitude doesn't get checked when they're three and four years old and they're 18, 20, 30 years old doing it. Still ruining Christmas. So we need to teach our children that obedience brings the reward and repentance. Obedience and repentance brings the reward of blessing as well. So repentance restores what was lost in the fall, right? That's what repentance does. Grace restores nature. And when they disobey, it it makes it a place of sadness for the family or a place of brokenness. Do you want it to go well, son? Yes, I want it to go well. Then that's why we obey. And when you disobey, that's why we repent. One of the ways that we teach this, and we're kind of like, we're pruning, think of it as pruning our garden of weeds. You gotta do this every single day. You gotta prune. If you want things to flourish, you gotta pull the weeds. If you don't pull the weeds, the weeds take over. One unchecked attitude takes over. We, we teach this to our, our, oldest, our oldest daughter specifically right now. Your attitude affects all the other girls. If you are in a bad attitude, they are in a bad attitude. If you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, then they wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Right? That, those weeds, weeds take over. So we must keep constant vigilance to prune these weeds to the effective use of discipline. Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. A child left to himself brings shame to his mother. If you let that attitude go by himself, this is why I don't like timeouts. This is why I don't like get sent to your room. You're literally sending a kid with a bad attitude to his room. He's immature. Do you think he's going to open his Bible and meet Jesus there? Or do you think he's going to come up three more reasons why he hates your guts? (laughs) Right? Or if he has internet or something like that, he's going to get into something else. No. We want to discipline. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Now the world pushes back on this idea of discipline and spanking and says it it is abusive and harmful. Now listen, if it is not done in a biblical, God-glorifying way, then it can definitely be abusive and harmful. And I know that many of you maybe, well, I don't know that for sure, but I know that some of you in this room had an abusive parent and spanking was maybe done in a very harsh and demeaning way. And I realize why you would, re- why you would push away from it, but you can't, you can't push away from, that, that's, that was done in an un- ungodly way. You can't push away from it just because you had a bad experience with it. The Bible says this, Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son. Whoever spares disciplinary spanking hates 
his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Here's the thing. You can never, how do I say this? Our character defines us. If you are not a courageous person, when you get put into a situation where you need courage, you're not going to have it. Okay? Virtue is developed over time. It's not prayed down from above. You become what you are, right? Your character is like a prison that encompasses you. And once your character is set, it becomes very difficult to change. And so if we don't discipline our, ch- our children and shape them into God-fearing, God-loving, obedient children... It's going to be very difficult for them to change later on. Very difficult for them to change later on. We, you know right, how difficult it is to change your diet. How difficult it is to start being active if you're not active. How difficult it is to start speaking, stop speaking a certain way that you speak. It's really hard as you get older. He who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Now remember, I said God is our model for parenting. And God, as our Father, says he disciplines us because he loves us. Hebrews chapter five, or chapter 12, verses 5 through 11 says this, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Listen, God is the perfect, loving, heavenly father, and he disciplines us and chastises us. So any, of, uh, any form of parenting that doesn't discipline in a painful way and chastise in an instructive way is not Christian. And should be rejected. Keep reading. God is treating you. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father did not discipline? Well, I can show you some. Nowadays, there's lots of them. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. God's saying, if I didn't discipline you, I would basically be hating you. You'd be bastards, illegitimate sons. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and lived? For Speaking of earthly fathers, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. And here's the, here's, here's the key, one of the keys. For the moment, or in the moment... All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. When you discipline your child and you teach them to sit and listen and stop annoying their sisters and get off their phone and pay attention, that seems difficult, that seems painful in the moment, 
but then later it produces the righteousness of a young person that actually can stand there and not follow all their friends and be a fool or not be addicted to their phone. You've created a certain type of character, and now they possess that type of character that can produce godly living in the future. Okay? Now, this is for everything. When you teach your child how to be courageous in the face of fear on a hike, okay, they're going to have that character in the future. We have to train our children in all these things, but discipline is the primary way that we shape, or one of the primary ways that we shape the hearts of our children. Again, Proverbs 29, 17 says this, discipline your son and he will give you rest. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. When you've shaped them when they're young, they'll be enjoyable in te- as teenagers. Please hear me. It is an absolute lie from Satan that your teenagers have to be miserable people. The world produces miserable teenagers. Christians don't have to. Shape them, discipline them when they're young, and they'll bring joy to your heart when they're older. This is a promise from God. All right, now I'm going to get really practical right here in how to spank. And then I know this is where a lot of the questions are, and this is it. I'm done. Number one, never spank in anger. Never spank in anger. And by that, I mean react, like spanking is not reactive. Spanking is proactive. Ephesians 6, 4 says, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. So if you're angry and you discipline, your child will get angry because they think you're disciplining me just because you're mad at me. And not, I'm disciplining you because I love you and because you've broken the commandments and you've ruined our garden, right? You've brought chaos into the garden and we're bringing order out of chaos here. And I want you to have the character in the future to have an enjoyable life. Number two, discipline must be painful. Hebrews 12, 11. Discipline must be painful. Listen, guys, we can work back. Discipline is preparing us to fear God and fear hell. Hell is going to be painful. We want our children to know that that their behavior and their affections have certain consequences. If you follow God, it leads to blessedness and enjoyable. And if you follow Satan, it leads to death and destruction. Every act of disobedience is an opportunity to remind them of that. Discipline must be painful, Hebrews tells us. Number three, discipline must be instructive. So Sam already kind of alluded to this. The way that we discipline is we go up to my room, take the child by themselves, I sit down on the bed, and I say, what does the Bible say? And, and they, this is, again, the first verse that they learned as well. Children, obey your parents so it will go well for you. Hear that? So it will go well. Be blessed. Okay. What did you do? This can go, this, this part can take 15 minutes, 20 minutes, up to an hour. Nothing. I did nothing. It was her. She did everything. You know? Okay. Let's talk about it. Right? Or it can be, I lied. I yelled at mom. I, whatever. They have, the, the, the goal here is to instruct them and to hear them, and then eventually hear, um, number four, sin must be named, confessed, and repented of. So this is what did you do, right? And we want to name it. We want to have a biblical name for it. 
I told a lie. Um, I gossiped. I disobeyed. We want a biblical name for it so they connect it. Not just, I made dad mad. I don't take my kid up there because they interrupted the football game. I don't take them up there because they spilled their milk. I don't, they don't get disciplined for spilling their milk. That's an accident. A dad who erupts over spilled milk is being a bad dad in the moment, needs to confess his sin. God doesn't do that to us. Sin must be named, confessed, and repented of. And then number five, forgiveness must be given that results in the full restoration to the relational blessings of the family. So, attitudes must be changed here. Hugs must be given. Love must be spoken, and the blessings of the father and the mother must be given again. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So, after you go through this process, and listen, when I first, there's one other aspect that I didn't really mention. That when you, to win the heart of your child means they believe, they know you love them, God loves them, they broke, they broke the commandments, and therefore I deserve discipline. So one of, this is probably the hardest part of parenting in the very beginning. And we, this is what we do. We make our children put their hands on the bed and come, lay across my knee. We make them do that themselves, and I will not wrestle them. I will not hold them down. And the first time I did that with my son, Javin, I think it took three hours I was in the bedroom for three hours. That sounds exhausting. Not as exhausting as crying your eyes out over a rebellious teenager. They submit to the discipline of the Lord. They say, I did it. I deserve a spanking. I'm sorry, Dad. I repent. I give them, usually, I, <laughs> I use the little, this is, <laughs> I forgot about that too. When about the same time, I took Javin to Hy-Vee to pick out his spatula. And we picked out this, it's got a black handle and a white rubber, perfectly cupped. It's like they took a butt cheek and just molded it right to it. Perfectly cupped for the spanking of the behind. And, uh, and then, so that's what we use. And I just, it's literally like two flicks of the wrists and pain happens, and tears happen, and it's usually that. It's usually two. I think the most we've ever done is probably four. Um, and the kids know it. How many, how many, Dad, how many? I, I'm not going to tell you how many, but it's going to be more if you don't submit, if you don't put over, get over my knee. But they confess their sin, the spanking happens, and as soon as the spanking happens, boom, I hug them. They're crying. I say, I love you. I forgive you. I hope this is the last time I spank you. If you ask my children, what do I say? That's what they say. And sometimes it's not going to be. I know it. <laughs> One day it will be, son. And it has been. I haven't spanked my son in years. I have no idea how last time I spanked my son was. But it's been years. And full restoration of the family. I am not mad at you. Your mother is not mad at you. We're not going to leave here and have bad attitudes. I'm not going to bring it up in, a, in 15 minutes. Full forgiveness, full restitution of the family has happened. Right? And now listen, if they're too emotional and they can't do that, right, I will, I will say, okay, I want you to go to your room. I want you to read one of your books. I want you to take some time. 
Know that I love you. Know that you're forgiven. Take some time before you go downstairs because you know they're going to walk downstairs with teary eyes and the kids are, how many did you get? How many did you get? How bad was it? How bad was it? Right? The kids want to know the details. Right? Hey, it's good too. You want the echoes of discipline to reverberate through your kingdom. You want that. You want that. Absolutely. Um, am I missing anything, babe, when it comes to that, our, our, our process? Because that's all I put. Okay. So, two things. The heart of parenting is blessing. Discipline only works if you've got a garden of blessing, guys. If your kingdom is ruled with an iron fist and it's boring and lame and lacks joy, discipline doesn't work there. Discipline, discipline restores us to the blessings, okay? So, any questions that you've got on that? Yes, sir. Yes. For younger children. Okay, so the discipline process sounds like it's for a certain age group. Let me, let me, just, let me describe that. Um, my, daughter is, my daughter is two right now, and we've already started spanking. Not this process. We just grab her in the moment, and we, we just swat her twice on her diaper, right? And she melts. She melts, right? She's a sweetie, but, that, but immediately we're starting right now. We say, no, no. And it's usually like this. Essie, don't touch that. Essie, don't touch that. You know, or whatever. Or don't go up those stairs. Essie, don't go up the stairs. Essie, don't go up the stairs. Essie, you're going to get a spanking if you don't go up the stairs. Okay, no. Boop. That's it. Ah, we love you. We love all that. That's, that's all it is right now. Okay? But it, but it, begins, right, it begins right now. It begins right now. She's connecting disobedience with pain, right? Maybe I shouldn't do that, right? That's what we want her to do. And then train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. We want, spanking should stop somewhere around 12 years old or maybe a little bit before that. Spanking should stop before that or somewhere around there, right? If you do it correctly when they're children, they should be set. And, it, and then... It's not doesn't mean they're not going to be, they're not going to disobey and they're not going to do stuff. Discipline needs to change then, right? Because specifically for me, by the time I was like nine, if I had a choice between being grounded and whoop, getting a whooping, I'm like, I'll take the whooping. You know, like, let's go. Like, give, me, give me 30 seconds of pain. I don't want a month of grounded, right? And your children know that. And so you have to be correct. Now listen, so it needs to be painful, what do they really love? Oh, time with their friends? You're grounded. Oh, the car? I'll take the keys. Oh, the phone? Oh, the computer? You're grounded. And it's still, that's still painful, right? But as they mature, you just have to uh, change what it is you're, you're, you're using. Yeah. Live. Yep, yep, yeah, great. What if they're just being annoying? I love it. That's a great question because this is parenting. You know, it's like, Dad, I'm not touching her. I'm just going, eh. You know, it's like, Jordan Peterson has a great 
uh, line when it comes to parenting, one of his advice to parents, don't let your child do to do, don't let your children do anything that will make adults hate them later. Why? Because those adults are going to be the ones that are educating you, coaching you, providing you for a job. And if you allow your child to grow up to be a little annoying brat, adults, successful people, won't like to be around them. And it's going to, it, you're literally going to hamstring them from being successful in life. So, yes, annoying is disrupting the kingdom. Annoying is bringing chaos into order. And so annoying is a sin. If you can, and then all you have to say is, Stop annoying your sister or pestering your sister. If you continue to do it, you're going to get a spanking. Now if they do it again, they're disobeying you. And so that's what they get a spanking for specifically. Disobeying you and annoying their sister or whoever it is. Yeah. Great questions. Yep. Josh? Bring it. I think, I think you, should, you should be very concerned that you're not taking the Bible at its face value and at its word, and you're trying to do something different than what Scripture commands us. So if we want biblical results, we've got to use biblical means. And the biblical means, he's very specific, and he says, the rod, the rod. Discipline is painful. And so you can choose to parent however you want to parent, but if you want biblical results, then you should use biblical means. And again, I would echo spanking has been used for thousands of years, and our society now, which is trying to refuse to spank, is out of control and in chaos, and the children are miserable, and it's, part of it is a result of people thinking they know more than God, and they can come up with a better strategy to discipline children than has been used for thousands of years, and it's clearly in Scripture. So you can choose it to do what, what you want. I would be really concerned myself. I... I want to be the guys that just go to the Bible and says, this is what God says and this is what I'm going to do. If I, want God, if I want the blessings of the covenant and covenant faithfulness, then I better do what God says and not go, well, I don't like that verse. I'm not going to follow that verse. I'd be, I'd be concerned. Yeah. Yes. The, yes. Yeah, so that's a great question. So every child learns differently, and there are going to be, like I said, there are going to be some children who melt, and the spank, the sp you can tell that the spanking is, 
Um, it's, it's really, dist- I don't know how, I don't want, I don't want to say, but you, you, you understand the frame of this child and this, we think this child needs a different form of discipline. Um, but you're still using spanking. I, I think there's things that concern me about timeout, but timeout can be done in a God-honoring way. And what I mean by that is sin brings separation. The Bible says that. Sin brings separation. So, but again, if the discipline isn't being corrective, so if it's not actually producing a change in the child, then don't do it. So if you're separating yourself from the child, and the child's like, good, I didn't want to be around you anyways. That's a bad, you don't want that. So don't keep doing that, right? Um, yeah, so... I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that timeout would necessarily be sinful. That's not what I'm saying at all. Um, but I think the primary way of getting to the heart of our child through discipline is specifically spanking. And I think spanking also, specifically boys, spanking prepares them for the real world. It prepares them for, to be tough. It prepares them to be around masculine men. It prepares them for pain. I mean, it, that's just the way it is, right? That's the way, that's the way God, God brings a lot of painful stuff into our, our life, right? Other questions? All the way in the back. Let me t- so guys, that's a great, great statement. Listen, <clears throat> spanking my children has created the most intimate moments in my parenting. Nothing comes close. Nothing comes close. When they're weeping in my arms, confessing their sins, telling me they love me. I don't know why I do that, Dad. Why do I keep doing that? And I get to remind them of the gospel in the moment. There's nothing better than that. And listen, timeout doesn't produce that. Right? Repentance is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Timeout doesn't produce weeping and gnashing of teeth most of the time in, in different forms of parenting. Spanking does. Spanking does. So I think to withhold biblical discipline is to withhold love. And this is why he, he literally says that whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Carly. Yeah. So, have I experienced children not confessing or not admitting or not owning it? How long are you willing to sit there? Um, so, yes, in the moment. But this is why discipline is instructive. Many times they think what they did wasn't a sin. 
So they don't know that the Bible says that they're to love their brothers and sisters or something like that. And that was unloving what you did or whatever. They need, they need it named. Actually, what you did was tell a lie. That's what the Bible calls that. I wasn't a lie. I was just telling a joke. You know, like that joke can be a lie. Uh, and so that takes some time. That takes some time. Now, there's been times also where, and this is, this is the, the, there's been times where I've disciplined in, incorrectly or inappropriately, or I disciplined with inefficient or insufficient uh, information, and I disciplined and then later found out, oh, man, she was telling the truth. And I have to go, listen, I am really sorry. I'm, I apologize for that. I didn't, you know, I, uh, and then the other, the other child gets, the, gets disciplined. So, but there are moments in there where I brought them in there and I thought they did something and then they convinced me that they didn't. And there's also moments, oh, I forgot about this piece too. This is a key one, guys. There's also moments where I'm in there and this is few, okay, few. I'm in there, they confess their sin and I look them, look them in the face and I say, today, Jesus took your spanking. I love you, I forgive you, and I don't spank them. There's, there's days when I, when I do that. I want them to connect. I deserve it. I'm about to get whooped. <gasps> Jesus took it, okay? And then the next time they're like, Dad, Jesus took my spanking, come on! <laughs> right? Right? So, so, there's, so there are moments, guys. Listen, we're, we're fallible. So there's moments you go into that discipline. You know they did this. You know they did that. And then, then they give you new information in the moment. And you might have to stop the whole process and go investigate and interrogate other children and find out what really happened. <laughs> like you, you might have to do that. And sometimes you're going to go, okay, all right. I thought you said that. You didn't say that. All right, go on. Back out. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, when it comes to grandparents and their grandparents' involvement in our children's lives, um, grandparents are going to probably parent the way they parented or grandparent the way they want a grandparent, and they might not necessarily follow your rules or understand, have your way of thinking. So how do you do that? How do you relate? What do you do with the kids? How do you drop them off? All the stuff. Um, first thing you got to do is you got to honor your father and mother, right? So in a respectful way, you've got to have a conversation with them that they, uh, we, you love them, you thank, um, we want you in their life, we're so thankful when you watch them and when you hang out with our kids, um, but there's a few things that we've set up as, as guidelines for us that we don't want you to cross. And like, if he's going to watch TV, he can only watch this show. What, and you just lay those things out, right? And, and honestly, hopefully, they, they've, they listen to you and they respectfully uh, choose to do it. Now, there's some things that... The, you know, 
Grandparents are meant to be spoilers and sweet and, you know, so if they're on a, you know, spinach-only diet and you send them to grandma, grandma might be like, not here, they're not, you know? So, and I, I say would roll with that, but when it comes, with, when it comes to specifically biblical forms of, of discipline, then, uh, and, and my, I don't think, my, my, I think my mom or my dad has had to spank my kids a, a couple times, but, but very rarely. What I want my kids, when my kids are looking at any authority, I want them to see the looming shadow of their father. So to know, like, I might not respect that teacher, but I respect my dad who I know is behind that teacher, right? So same with grandparents. I want my kids to see my looming shadow behind my, my dad. I don't want my, my, don't my dad having to spank my kids or anything like that. So yes. Yeah. Yep. Great question. Yeah. So what does it look like to do this as a team? And if the, if the mom is a stay-at-home mom and dad's at work, I would say the mom has to do the immediate, the immediate swat swats because the baby needs to know right away, disobedient spanking. If you wait till dad gets home, Baby has no idea, or child, toddler has no idea, so you don't want to do that. Um, now, mom, so Amanda, everything I described in disciplining, Amanda does as well. If I'm not there, Amanda disciplines. But if it becomes Lord of the Flies at home, well, dad's not there, and she loses her, her cool, yes, it does happen. My wife does lose her cool occasionally. Uh, then she's unfit unfit to discipline in the moment, and then she's got the, mo- the scariest words in the history of the English language. Wait till your father gets home. That's it. You know, like, okay, I'm going to tell your dad. Okay, I'm going to tell your dad. And then dads, you come home from a long day, and I know you don't want to walk into that, but sometimes you have to, and you have to walk in, and you have to step in. And the, the thing is, is you should be... Um, controlled, and they weren't sinning against you all day. They were sinning against your wife, and so you should be able to come in and do it in a level-headed, peaceful way. So, yeah, we need to, a wife and husband have to work together in this. They can't create this good cop, bad cop. And it, it, you can play the good cop and bad cop, but it can't always be one guy and one, you know. The guy can't always be the bad cop and the girl always the good cop, Right? Yeah, so when you do lose your cool or, or you get overwhelmed with parenting, especially when you've got a lot of little ones at home and maybe the husband's not there, what do you do? Well, the first thing you do is you just, you acknowledge it, right? There's, the, <laughs> depends on where everything's at, right? But, you know, you can put the child in, in the playpen or whatever, the, whatever the, the, the thing is and then you can go to the bathroom and you, can, and you can shut the door and you can pray, dear Jesus, I need your help right now. Like, I feel out of control, I feel like I can't handle this, and I know that you give me the Holy Spirit to give me strength and to, to enable me to do this. I know you've called me to be the mom here and, and to do this, so I just, I, that's the first thing you do. Those moments lead you to cry out to God, and it also might lead you to call him on the phone, or to call a friend, or to call somebody in your fight club, and say, 
I've locked myself in the bathroom again. You know? And, the, and let them remind you of the gospel. Let them remind you that what you're doing is good work. You're meant to be exhausted. You're meant to get pushed to, the, to your edge. Maybe, and then it might be rhythm stuff. You might learning how, you know what, at this time, I actually need to take the kid on a walk. I actually need to uh, take them to the gym and then let the babysitter have the child for an hour. You moms learn these type of uh, rhythms, right? When Amanda was gone for four days, man, I just stayed busy the whole time. Took all the kids. We're going to Teskies to look at the animals. And then we're going to get free samples at Costco. And then it's going to be nap time. And I'm going to have an hour to myself. And then we're going to go, you know, I was just kept them busy, man. Kept them busy. Yeah. So go ahead. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. Great question. Yeah, so we actually had this question last night as well. And so we have families in our church who are foster care and they also are adopting. And you are, in that situation, you are providentially hindered from disciplining the children. And so what that means is you can't do that. The state says you can't. And so you have to have other forms of discipline. And I, I believe that they're going to be um, less productive forms of discipline, but you've got to do what you can do. You, you just have to do what you can do until you, you have adopted them, right? And um, anytime you adopt a child, it brings added difficulties to the discipline process. Whether they've been, whether they're a year old, three years old, seven years, whatever it is, because they've either been neglected for a year, or they've been mistreated, or they've, they've experienced some kind of chaos and some kind of trauma. And so, it's, it's going to require, I would say, it's going to require pastoral wisdom, that you need a pastor's uh, help in the home, observing the behavior of the child, the frame of the child, and then helping you f- apply discipline in a, in a godly way. Because if, if a child has been physically abused, then spanking might not be the thing, right? So I would, I would say you need pastoral wisdom and application in that, in that, um, in that regard. Yes. Yeah, well, so if the, gov- if the government says that to me, I, says, I would say, there's dip- there's, I, would, I would explain to them the way that God set up the world. <laughs> and that is, they, these are my children and not your children, government. You think that they're yours, but they're not. And the government wants our children. They want to indoctrinate our children. That's why they want public schools, so they can teach your children what to love. And so, apparently our government wants blue-haired crazies running the world. That's what our, I mean, that's what I'm seeing. That's what our government wants. People that cry about being misgendered, right? That's what our government wants. That's what they're producing. And so the government has no right to tell me how to discipline my children. The father is given, father and the mother rule the home. That's our sphere. Civil magistrate rules the civil sphere, pastors, church sphere, right? So the government cannot tell me what to do in my home unless I'm committing a crime, which physical abuse would be a crime. Okay, yeah. All the way in the back first. Sorry, guys. Yep, yes, you. 
Yeah. So that's a great question. How, what do you do when you already know you failed in, in parenting like this and they're 10, 12 years old and the concrete is beginning to harden and you're seeing things that you don't like? Uh, number one, you've got to confess your sins to God and to them. Admit, tell them verbally that you failed them and you haven't done it God's way and you're really sorry for it and you're asking for God's grace to cover it. And then pray, pray, pray. That how, how many people in here are first-generation Christians again? Right? So all of those in this room didn't have the blessing of covenantal home, didn't have the, the blessing like this, and God saved them anyways. So God can save them in spite of your mistakes. So pray, pray, pray. And then it's too late to start spanking. It's too late to start spanking, but create the... Okay. Yeah. Create the home of blessing... For the next six years that you've got them in your home or whatever, this is going to be a home of blessing. This is all about God in this home. We're going to honor God in this home. And when you honor God, it goes well for you. You, you, you receive blessings from him. Yep. Yep. If you don't have a spouse that's in the same, on the same page with you, it becomes incredibly difficult. But your child, children are still holy and, um, and you still want to, to disciple them. So repent, pray. And then create, uh, create a, a home of blessing. And I would say, get them involved in the church as much as possible. Get them around other godly men, other people that can help you um, with that. Right here, right here. So what does discipline and restoration look like if your children were bis- being disobedient in church? or in Sunday school, and you find it out later. Well, I would say I kind of gave you an example of what it looks like. I mean, the children should know going in on the way to, if you're disobedient, you will get discipline when you get home. And that's one of the reasons we want parents picking up their children and not sending their older kids to pick up their children because when a parent goes to the teacher, I want the teacher to say, your child was being very disobedient today. And you can go, thank you, I needed that information. And you bring them home and you... Spank them for being disobedient to their teacher and not honoring God, right? If you send your 12-year-old to pick them up, you don't know that, and you miss out on an opportunity to bring correction and discipline. You go ahead. Oh, to apologize to their teacher? Yeah, yeah, that's going to be tough. That's going to be tough. Um, that's going to be tough to do, to repent to that teacher because our teachers rotate. So I would say, depends on what they did. If they bit the teacher, then yes. You know, you should probably find that person. But if it was just normal disobedience, then I would say, I would say, I would say more than likely the teacher is making them do that. So if they sin against another kid, the teacher's probably saying, tell them you're, so- tell them you're sorry. Oh, would you forgive them? You know, probably doing that. So I don't think it would be necessary for that. Julia. Yep. <clears throat> Great question. So how do you pray with your child if your ch- children are very, uh, if they're uh, shy to pray? Yes, I would, say, I would say repeat after me. And that's how I taught my children to pray, repeat after me. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, I repent of my sin. I repent of my sin. I lied. I, did. I, I, I teach them to, to, to pray like that in, until they can. Right? Yeah. Jay.
Yes. If there is a, is there a, is it necessary to balance the weight of discipline between the mother and the father? I think, I think yes. I think there, I think the father can't be the only disciplinarian in the home. Um, that would make him, that's just, he, he just becomes the meanie, right? He becomes bad cop and you don't want that. So you do want to balance it. And like when you're upset, you got to be able to say, babe, I need you to go take care of this for me. <laughs> right? Oh, love it. What? Great question. What do you do in public? First off, you let them know that there is a bathroom with the door on it. See, this is the good thing about those, uh, <laughs> this is a good thing about those confused genders is now that they have a bathroom that locks, you can go in by yourself. And I can, I can, I can provide discipline in that bathroom. Uh, so, but most of the time, most of the time, you're going to have to grin and bear it. If your child is, is doing a temper tantrum, this is an attempt to shame you and to get you to not discipline them and give them whatever they want in the moment. And so you're going to have to be strong and refuse to be shamed in the moment and just look them in the eye and say, I love you. You're getting a spanking when we get home. And you're not getting that. Like you have to refuse to be shamed, right? And then when they get home, you have to discipline them and you have to tell them if you ever do that again, you're going to get a discipline. Right? And it doesn't, it doesn't keep happening. But if you give into it in the moment, oh, you see 16-year-olds do it, basically, when they don't get what they want. Yep. Yeah, so it's difficult. Now, the other great, the other great this is, that is, an, that is one of the worst scenarios, like, as a mom, Right? It's one of the worst scenarios. This is also, see, the, the Lord tells us to, be, to, to rule over creation, right? To take dominion over things. And this is why the Lord has given us DoorDash. From home, you can order your groceries, right? And you don't have to go to the store and experience those, those things, right? Babe, what do you think? Yeah, so great point. So we're to provide instruction and discipline on the way. And so what Amanda just said is on the way to the store, you should tell them 10 times, and here's what you're doing. This is how you're going to be tempted today, and this is how you're going to respond to the temptation. You're going to see a lot of things that you want. We're going to the store for the necessities. You're not going to get any candy today. Or if you're obedient, you're going to get a sucker. If you try to grab things and throw a fit, you will get nothing. You're telling them how they're going to be tempted. You're telling them how to respond to the temptation. You're with them in the presence. This is literally the Garden of Eden. Right? You're, you're giving them all the blessings. There's one tree you can't have. Just don't throw a fit. And if you don't, it's going to go well for you. And then you're setting it up. And then if they are throwing a fit, she says many times she's left the whole cart and just left. Right? Because if they're set and you've got an hour's worth of shopping, you know, you can't, you can't do it. But then discipline when you get home and actually follow through with it. You have to be, you, if you said you weren't going to give them a sucker, 
and they're freaking out and you give them a sucker, you've rewarded disobedience. What gets rewarded gets repeated. And you're a liar. So he's explaining that his kids have, they live in two different homes, and his home is a Christian home, and uh, their mom's home is not a Christian home, and that this home has probably got less rules, and this one does have rules. And I'm just going to acknowledge that that is difficult, and it's, going, it's not ideal, and it's going to be very difficult because teenagers especially gravitate towards freedom, and they gravitate towards getting what they want, even though it's not what's best for them. And so it's, you know, I would again, I would say it's going to require probably pastoral care and pastoral help to, to walk through that. Um, and it's just going to be a, a minefield that you're just going to have to, it's going to deepen your prayer life. That's, that's for sure. Yeah. Carly? Okay. Um, uh. mm -hmm. So how do you, basically the question is, how do you help kids handle their emotions when they're so emotional, they're so fragile, and they're all over the place, and then they won't repent or pray or anything like that? Well, again, God says he knows our frame, and he tailors discipline specifically to us. And one of the evidence of grace and discipline and this Holy Spirit is self-control. So we know our children come to us foolish. And what is a fool? A fool is a person that listens to their emotions and does whatever they feel, right? And so we're leading our children away from foolishness towards maturity. And that requires disciplining our emotions or learning how to control them. Or, yes, I understand how you feel, but we can't act that way. Yes, I understand that's how you feel, but you can't speak that way. And so it's a whole lot, like what Amanda said, it's a whole lot of coaching. You, you learn as a mom and dad what's going to trip their trigger. Every time we go to church, every time we do this, right after nap time, right before nap time. And so you teach them how to vocalize what they're feeling. You know, a lot of times if they're, so if you get kids that are a little older, if they're feeling a little insecure, they come out sassy or they come out picking at their siblings. And you learn how to, what, what are, you, are you feeling in, insecure right now? What's, what's going on? And you help them diagnose it and you help them lead them toward, toward, toward maturity, right? Uh, but it's your presence. So a non-anxious presence, right? Remember that from our leadership training? So you have to be the one that enters in and takes them from a 10 to an 8 to a 6 to a 5. You have to absorb their wrath like Jesus does, to absorb their emotion, calm them down, not take it, not take it up a notch, right? Kids blowing up and mom blows up. You have to absorb the wrath and then help them walk through it. And if they 
Do they get a well, do they get a spanking when they're when they're so emotional, um, and stubborn and stubborn, stubborn yes for sure, stubborn for sure, yeah, mm-hmm. hard hearted stubbornness, yes you you do, uh, and you could tell when it's willful disobedience they get a spanking. If it's I'm emotionally out of control because I stayed up till midnight last night and and I whatever you know what I mean like if it's or I had too much sugar, or I did something like that, and it's, then, it's le- then it's less so. But if it's willful disobedience, they're getting disciplined for it. Yes, they will use emotion as a weapon. Listen, did I mention I have four girls, <laughs> 13 and under? Think of yourself as a big old shock absorber, parents. When you walk in, and my tendency is to walk in a room to hear something and me go, quit doing that. Like, stop annoying your sister. Instead of being a shock absorber that actually takes it from a 10 down to an 8. And go, really? Is that really how you, are you, do you really need to speak to your sister that way? Right? Think of your, as... You're absorbing their anxiety. You're absorbing their stress. You're absorbing their fear. You're absorbing their drama. And you're bringing it down a notch. And you're teaching them, by you doing it yourself, how to control their own emotions. And you're, you're talking them through it. You have to control your emotions. Your emotions cannot rule you. Better is he who rules his spirit than he who conquers a city. Yep, that's a great one. I know where you got it. We use the same one. So uh, one of Doug Wilson's children ha- has come up with a saying where they, she calls it the cranky dragon. And if their child wakes up with the cranky dragon, he says this. Basically, if you've got a cranky dragon, God gave you that so you can kill it. And either you kill that cranky dragon or mom will. Th- then you say, then why do I see flames coming out of your eyes? right? Then why are all your words hurting everybody around you? You are a cranky dragon right now, and you need to confess it and turn to God, or dad will whoop the dragon out of you, right? Ooh, we have a lot of questions. Goodness, sorry, guys. If you, if you need to go, you can go. I don't feel pressure to stay. If they have questions, you've, 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 I'm going to answer the question. I'm going to stay here until all the questions are asked and answered. Yeah, so this is the great this is the great question, men. Um, if you weren't raised this way, if you didn't weren't raised with the scriptures, you weren't raised in an adventurous home, you weren't raised in fun and joy and all this. How do you create it in your own home? And I would I would say that books are your friend. Surround yourself with people who have done it well, and read how they parent and follow their advice, and get in a community where you see men doing it, and you learn from learn from those men. So in a lot of ways, I said, I wasn't raised like that either. Um, my dad didn't throw the football around with me. He was always at work. And when he got home, he started working again. He'd just build a deck or do something like that. So I didn't have that 
experience with my father either. And so I've learned from men like Doug Wilson, and I've learned from the scriptures, and I've learned from guys in history. That's why I say I don't listen to people in this generation. I want to go back and find guys that actually did it well. So read books and mirror off the... Yes. Yeah, recommend books. Well, that's a whole other podcast. Let me just say that. Uh, these three I have recommended, and we've got some out there. Um, yeah, I would just say for your boys, find stories of heroes, villains, good guys, bad guys, good conquering evil, men doing difficult things in the midst of trying circumstances. For girls, find women uh, heroines, right? Women that, women that do the right thing in the midst of a culture that does the wrong thing, women that love their home, love their fathers, love their children, that see child-rearing as a blessing of God like it is. Find virtuous women and, and tell, and there's lots of, download the Canon app, uh, the Canon Plus app, and there's lots of stuff right there on, on there. That's what I request, or that's what I give you advice for, for books and stuff. All right, Alex, your last one or what? Or maybe not the last one, but this, I saw you've been raising your hand and I've been ignoring you. Hey, let me just let me say it because that's on the mic and people, so we can hear it. So I forgot about this. So yeah, when you when your kid's throwing tipper tantrums, that's a sign that your parenting is that's a, a red flashing light saying this child needs discipline. This child needs discipline. And so we get exhausted as parents, and when we get exhausted, we start letting uh, the little foxes take over the house. Basically, we start take we, the weeds start popping up, and we're just tired of pulling them. And so what Amanda and I would do is we called it, we would, I literally, we called it Hell Week. And all it meant was, Hell Week like the Navy SEALs, and all it meant was we are going to discipline every single infraction of disobedience from this moment on. And Hell Week really was just Hell 30 minutes. Literally. It usually became 30 minutes, maybe a couple hours, because as soon as they said a snarky comment, to my room. What? I told you not to do that. You did it. To my room. You know, it just, you can see, oh, they're actually going to enforce things right now. They're not going to let me get away with it. And their attitudes change. And guess what happens? This is another blessing. The whole house feels better. <laughs> the kids act better. You feel better. There's joy restored to the home because you actually are disciplining like God tells you to discipline and you're holding them to the standard. And then that produces, uh, you know, a, a joyful home. So we called it Hell Week. But it's just basically, we're not accepting any uh, partial obedience. So, Halfway obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. We have a saying, we, there's a book out called Halfway Herbert, and one of the things we talk about all the time is like, is that Siri? You're doing, you're doing. Is there something else I can help with? You can help with this talk, but no, that's it. All right, so I, do we have anything else? I know we're already 20 minutes over, so I, I didn't mean to do that, but anything else?
Okay. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for all, these, all of our folks who want to learn to be better parents and want to learn how to disciple their children. I pray that you would strengthen their parenting, have their home be a flourishing place of blessing, and that uh, you would raise up greater generations after us that rise up and call us blessed and rise up and call you blessed, Lord God, that you are so good to us. Be with us now as we leave. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.